Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 247, and we are continuing this little mini-series, if you will, picking some of our favorite episodes from the past five years of the podcast. Today's guest is Mike Graves, and unless you've already heard this episode that we are replaying for you today, you've probably never heard of Mike. Uh, he is someone that you'll hear as a customer of Exo Mountain Gear that I just happened to get in contact with. Uh, and heard some about him and saw some of what he is doing and honestly was just super inspired and wanted to get him on the show. Mike, at the time of this original recording, was 67 going on 68 and was still hunting the backcountry, still hunting wilderness, still packing out animals for himself and others, as you'll even hear about. So it's something that a guy twice my age at the time of this recording was doing things that I know at half his age are difficult to do. And something that I wanted to talk to him about is I learned more about Mike. I was not only inspired by the fact that he is uh, 68 and still hunting hard, but I learned that he has some amazing stories to share from decades and decades of hunting. And we get into some of that in this podcast if I were sitting right next to you right now, I would make a bet with you. And the bet would be this. If you were interested in hunting at all, and clearly you are listening to this podcast, I would bet you that you cannot listen to this conversation with Mike without cracking a smile or laughing. And I would say that I would give you a brand new exo pack if you could listen to this conversation without a genuine smile or cracking a laugh. This is such a fun episode and fun conversation. It's one of those podcasts that's not as much tips and tactics, but is so enjoyable because of the stories that Mike has to share and because there are lessons in here. There's lessons about how to hunt at his age. There's lessons about why hunting is truly important. There's lessons on being comfortable with getting uncomfortable. There's just so much in here. So guys, this was definitely one of our personal favorite episodes Hopefully you enjoy this one, especially a treat if this is your first time hearing this episode. It was originally episode 180, and here we are replaying it for you today. Enjoy this conversation with Mike. Before we do, don't forget, there's a giveaway link in this show description. We just want to say thank you to you guys, so hit that giveaway link. You'll be entered. We're giving away some prizes. You've already heard about that, so just make sure you've done it if you haven't already. All right, here's this conversation with Mike Graves. All right. Well, Mike, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, privileged here. <laughs> I told my son, I said, yeah, they want me to do a podcast. I said, isn't that what you listen to all the time? Yeah, Dad, I think you ought to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, you had e emailed me back this fall and had nothing about the podcast or anything, but you used an XO pack and just kind of reached out and said, hey, you know, yes. thanks for the great pack. and. You know, here's kind of what I was up to this fall, and I thought it was really cool to see. You're 67, right, Mike? Uh, 67. I'll be eight in August. Yeah, so 67, <laughs> going on 68, and uh, yeah, it was cool to see you. Like even in some of the photos that you shared with us, I mean, you're hunting some some really really legit country for sure. Um, yeah. And so we kind of shared one of those photos and then even a bunch of guys that just kind of follow our stuff wanted to get you on the podcast. I wanted to get you on the podcast. So that's <laughs> that's how we ended up here. I'm excited. OK, <laughs> so go ahead and tell that's us. You, you I had... do have to. I uh, had mentioned, I think that I'd uh, packed three, uh, two elk and uh, three deer. And actually, I'd forgotten I'd, I'd packed out an elk for some guys. I'd never met before coming out of a wilderness. And uh, so that made three that I'd packed out with that uh, pack this year. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, so you're 67 hunting hard and not only are you packing out your stuff, you're packing out stuff for strangers. That's impressive. Oh uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, it was all good. Yeah. Yeah. I met your son, Shane, uh, of several weeks ago um, at one of the shows that we were at and he kind of gave me some more information about you and it was cool to hear you've been hunting essentially your whole life and it sounds like your father uh, was quite the hunter and uh, had killed quite a few bulls and things like that so I'm sure it sounds like you just got started from a young age 
Yeah, I think I killed my first buck maybe when I was, I don't know, six or seven. And you only get one buy with him. After that, you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that's the that's the first time you remember then, huh? Yeah, that's that. I think that's the first one that I remember. Yeah. So did did you continue to hunt with your dad a lot, or he kind of just pushed you out on your own and you know let you learn in the field? How did that work out? I uh, yeah, he was my hunting partner and and uh, you know my best friend, and so when hunting season would roll around we were partners in the logging business for about five, six years. And when hunting season rolled around, we were gone for two weeks. We never listened to the phone. Everybody was on their own back at the home front. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was an avid hunter, loved doing it. Yeah. So they're just, we all seemed to always hunt the uh, areas that nobody else wanted to hunt because that's where we figured the game were at. <laughs> really? And where, where was that? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Oregon and uh, a little town, logging town uh, called Molala there. And uh, it was a logging town and then Spotted Owl hit. And, you know, from that point on, then I moved up to Alaska and logged up there for 13 years. Yeah. Most of the hunting you did with your father growing up was there in Oregon then? Yeah, it was in Oregon, uh, Idaho, some and Washington and and then uh, when I became a resident up in Alaska, well, he'd come up and the laws up there allow a direct relative to guide for the family. So I had him come up as well as my son and we've done a couple of goat hunts up there. Yeah, your son told me about that and I have a story I want to ask you about. Before... <laughs> <laughs> I know which one it is. <laughs> before we get to that, there's another a funny story i think going back to family hunting and this was i think an older story about you had killed either your biggest or one of your best bulls um i believe it was about 30 years ago or something and a family yeah. member played a trick on you with the horns or something shane was telling oh, me. oh yeah yeah i think i was about 35 and you know i was all business and uh, my dad and i and a good friend of ours had drew this special tag there in oregon and uh I was pretty, I mean, I'm a meat hunter, and but I was pretty committed that I was going to either come out of there with a good bull or come out skunked, and uh, I'd been watching this 7x7 uh, seven seven for four days, and anyway, uh, opening day, I knocked him down, and my dad got a 5x5, five five and, and uh, then uh, our partner, he killed a 5x5, five five. so we packed the horns out, put them up in the wall tent. And my uh, dad's oldest brother, he was always one to play games. And, of course, there was snow on the ground. And so we went to get the meat out. I come back and no horns. Well, I grabbed my gun and I was going up to the next camp. (laughs) 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 That was pretty serious stuff. Yeah. Well, I come to find out, my dad says, now just calm down. He said, let's take a look here. And he says, well, here's some tracks going out there in the woods. And. That was my uncle. He went and hit him out there behind the tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's yeah, funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I ever got even with him or not, but uh, he's still alive. Yeah. Well, it's not <laughs> yeah. too late then. You can still you can still get payback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's funny. So, yeah, jumping yeah. up to Alaska, um, you said you were up there for how long working? 13 years. Yeah, and obviously being a resident and having that kind of time, I'm sure you had some uh, great hunting adventures and opportunity up there, huh? I did. You know, we worked seven days a week up there, but uh, I tried to squeeze in some hunting. And it's kind of funny because I listened to the podcast of the guide that uh, guiding up there in Alaska. And, you know, everything he had to say was spot on. And, you know, other than I can say maybe add a little bit to it that uh, – when you hunt in Alaska, you want to be prepared because uh, it can be a really nice place or a pretty unforgiving place uh, for, for for weather and everything around you. I mean, there's so many things that can happen so fast and you want to be prepared for it. Did you kind of stay in one area then with Alaska with your hunts or did you get to travel? Because it's, it's one no, of those things I, we, you know, we yeah, talk about I, hunting in Alaska like it's a spot but alaska is so big and so vast yes 
I got up north uh, and hunted up there out of uh, King Salmon and Natnick, did some caribou, and uh, but it was always in the fall after our logging season, and so the big bulls have lost their horns, but I did kill a really nice moose up there, a 60-inch moose, and oh, wow. at 30 below, I think it was. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good hunt, and it was just me and a manager uh, decided to go up there to get some meat, and uh, met a guy, and he says, he used to be a guide, and, and he is a native there, and he said, uh, well, how'd you guys like to just, you know, go out to our cabin, and uh, said, there's about five of us going out there, and I said, well, that'd be okay, 20 miles up the King Salmon River. <laughs> so we go in there and he said there's only two things uh that we require he said there's no smoking and no drinking and i looked at my manager and he looked at me and he says we're all in let's go <laughs> 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 so anyway we came out uh came out with what we wanted he'd asked actually this guy we're sitting at his dinner at home he asked my buddy He's saying, well, how big a bull would you like to kill? And he said, I just want a bullwinkle. And I'm sitting there listening to the conversation, and I'm thinking, he's going to ask me how big a bull I want. Well, how big a bull do I want? And I told him, I said, well, I'd like to kill something, you know, 60 inches. And uh, I seen a 70 plus, but I couldn't get to him. So, Wow. Did you, I know that, yeah, I know that you've done a, a lot, a lot of bow hunting, Mike. Are you strictly a bow hunter? Do you kind of hunt any weapon? Uh, or, yeah. You know, just looking at the opportunity, essentially? I do. I just, uh, I, I love bow hunting. My son got me into it. Uh, his grandfather said that, uh, oh, you never want to do that, you know, slinging them sticks out there and wounding all the animals. I have seen him wound so many animals with a rifle. The stick didn't have that <laughs> Uh-huh. You know, it was no discussion, really. But uh, Oregon got so messed up that if you wanted to hunt, you had to go to a bow. And so we started bow hunting. We do a lot of hunting and not a lot of killing. We'd like to do a little more killing, but we're having fun doing it. So, And then we pick our rifles up in Montana because our season so is extended there. I mean, if you can't do it with the bow, well, you just wait a week and then pick up your rifle and start hunting again. Right. Right. Were you bow hunting when you were in Alaska? No, I was not. Only rifle. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I, I want to get back to, to that goat hunt story. Uh, and again, Shane had mentioned this to me about a hunt that you had done with Shane and also with your father, I believe. And you had a, an interesting idea on a good way to kind of lighten your pack load um and do a gear drop and i want to hear what that idea was and oh. how it worked out for you <laughs> yeah that was i think that was the second hunt and uh of course my business we were going strong but i think it was over uh labor day and so my son come up and my dad come up and we were going to do another goat hunt well it takes you a full day to to get up into that country and uh you know, we wanted to be up there for four or five days. And, and so the air carrier, uh, that, uh, flew all of my passengers and freight and what have you, I talked to them and I said, what if I charter a plane and any chance that we can throw some gear outside the, uh, plane and drop it. so we don't have to pack it in. And, and I think that was all legal, uh, not that it really helped us a lot. <laughs> and so we we boxed everything up and took a lot of time. And and the only only uh, thing that my dad says, he says, do not drop my sleeping bag in a pond. And there's a lot of little ponds up in the high country. And anyway, needless to say, only his pack ended up in the pond. That thing <laughs> took about three, three bounces across the hillside and boom, right into the pond and <laughs> it oh, was kind of comical but it was all sealed everything was good i think we might have broke one lantern or something and actually uh when we came out of there we had uh, three billies and uh boned out and we left a bunch of stuff up there underneath a big rock and i've been trying to get back up there from a different direction now and for the last 
I don't know, 10 years and still haven't made it in there yet. But maybe this year, we'll see. Get some of your gear back, huh? Yeah, well, I ain't so worried about it. It's just, it's, I think once you get up into that high country like that, that's about as close as you can get to God's country, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so did that air carrier, do they have experience making drops like that? Or this is just something no, you guys were rigging up on the fly? Off, might have been off the charts a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> really good friends of ours. Uh, it's, my wife used to work there, and and uh, and uh, she's really good friends with the owners. They've now since retired as well. And But uh, I had some pretty good connections there. And so what we ended up doing is pulling their doors off and uh, – the pilot, he could get her slowed down to about 80 miles an hour. And, uh, you know, and that's probably not the smartest thing a guy should do up there in the mountains with the wind currents and everything, but it worked. So, you know, I can tell the story. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's wild. So you, yeah. you, it was you, your son and your father, and it sounds like y'all three were yeah. able to, to fill that tag on a good Billy on that trip. Yeah, we did. Uh, we got in there that afternoon late and uh, gathered all our gear scattered across the mountain, and and we had a, a good water source up there, and and uh, so we spotted billies. Right, nobody gets up into that country to hunt. Uh, the goat hunters around there, most of them, wait till fall, and then they'll go up one of these channels in a boat. And snow gets deep enough, the animals come down, and but uh, we were right there amongst them. And so we seen Billy's that night and the two of them wanted to go after him. And I said, no, no. I said, we'll get them in the morning. I said, we need to get this camp set up. So we did the next morning. Uh, we told uh, my son that uh, he gets first shot. I said, you may not get a second one, but I says, you will have the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Father son only goes so far, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he got his belly and we packed it down and took off again and jumped another bunch of them. And I got one and uh, took it down. And actually, I think I don't even know if we'd packed mine out. I think my dad had spotted another one under a great big ice. Uh, well, it was just like an ice overhang over a, a little draw. And that bugger, it was so warm, he was bedded up underneath there. And sure enough, that was a couple of miles away, but he went up in there and knocked him down. And so we had three billies there. I'm not sure if it was the second day or the first. I can't remember, but it was good hunting. Yeah. Wow. I'm curious, just, and this is a obviously a really high-level question, Mike, but from someone with your experience hunting 60 years, you know, hunting in the lower 48 for elk and deer, then having all these experiences in Alaska for, you know, goat and bears and all kinds of critters, what comes to your mind in terms of, like, if you have all those different hunts, do you feel that they're all really similar and that success shares similar attributes? Or do you feel that different hunts for different species in different terrains are truly different than previous hunts and require different skills and things like that? Uh, yeah, I think there is a difference. I mean, when you're hunting a mountain goat, uh, that country, it's vertical. And mm-hmm. and the, the, the biggest job that you've got is maybe not so much killing the animals, just being able to get your butt up the mountain. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it is, uh, it's tough. I, I went with my other son, uh, from, uh, Juno and, uh, he'd never killed a goat and, uh, Shane couldn't go with us that year. And, and it took us, uh, a day and a half to get up to where we wanted to be. And it was brutal. Yeah. I just, I, yeah, I, I can't compare to anything hunting any other animals as bad as it was for, for mountain goat, you know, they're up in the high country and you're going to see once you get in that back country up there, nobody, they're standing there looking at you because they've never seen man to speak of, but you can't just shoot anyone you see because some of them canyons and crevices, you'll never retrieve the game, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so vertical. So you have to be careful. Yeah. 
That other hunt you did with your son, is that that one where you made quite a long trek and realized you had kind of forgotten something important? <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> I told you I told you Shane gave me the dirt. So what happened? Yeah, there? I this he did. He gave you everything, didn't he? I'm sure he's listening. He said he was gonna be. Yeah. He said he said to enjoy the podcast with you, and I don't know if he said that with a mischievous tone or <laughs> Yeah, that was uh the year we were we went in, my uh stepson up there, he's got a boat and we took it in and, and then we had to go up this uh river and we had a rubber raft and and uh wind was picking up and I was the last one to get out of the boat and locking everything up and eh, needless to say I forgot something that was kind of critical but I didn't realize it till a day and a half later. <laughs> yeah. And what was that something? <laughs> oh, that something was the release that you used to pull the string back on a bow. <laughs> <laughs> And I think I forgot my uh, rangefinder as well, but it was all good. Uh, I was up there to help him, uh, Sean, to get. I got a Sean and a Shane, and I was up there to help Sean get his first billy. And it was so warm. The buggers had run over the mountain and on the shady side. And uh, so we didn't see him. We had fresh sign, but we just could not locate him in our area. We seen some a long ways away, but no way to get to them because of the snow fields and what have you. Wow. But we had a good time. Memories, I think, is probably one of the most important things that you can do in hunting. It's not so much the blood and, and the killing, but if you're hunting by yourself, it's pretty hard to make memories. And it seems to like I'm doing more of that all the time because my boys are a long ways away and they're still working helping my retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there there's something about a solo hunt from like the challenge perspective, you know, you're, right. you're on your own, you kind of meet yourself and there's at times there's something nice about not having to answer to someone else, right? Like you can make your own oh, plan, yeah. do your own thing and you don't have to bounce that off, but yeah. Uh, at the same time, there's something so incredibly special about sharing all of that with someone or with yes, a few guys, it is. you know? Yeah, especially when it's family. it uh, It's even more special, I think. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I've got a son that likes to hunt with me, so he keeps asking me to go on some of these big hunts that he goes on. So <laughs> I feel pretty privileged to be able to even be able to go. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it sounds like it's a good heritage, and that's what your father did with you, you know? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. You mentioned you're primarily a meat hunter, but you've obviously been on some amazing hunts. When you think of like the trophy or have a mount from a hunt, is that how you look at it in terms of that's that's something just to help you with that memory from those good times? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think everybody likes big, big horns, you know, and but uh I love the meat. My my wife does. My dad. I mean, I lived on it my whole life when I was just growing up. And uh, I think it's more of the memory. It's, it's uh, making memories, hunting as much as it is. You know, well, if I see a big one, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to try to make it happen. But you know, it, it doesn't always happen that way. If I see a legal bull or a legal buck that comes into view and the shots there i mean the buck you seen the buck i killed last year that was the biggest one i've ever killed and two days prior to that i was looking at a little tiny three point so (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome steve and i are both in our mid-30s um right you know we're essentially half your age which sounds crazy (laughs) yeah you know and i know for steve and i and i know for a bunch of our audience no matter what their age is currently the guys listening to this want to be hunting in their, you know, mid to late sixties, like you are not only hunting, but hunting in an adventurous way like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What just at a high level, what do you consider some of the keys to being able to do it so long and to be in the country that you're in um, at your age? Like, how do you think you've gotten there? Uh, I think I'm in, uh, I think I'm in better shape now than I, I was, you know, a couple of years ago, but been about three years now since I quit cutting timber and I didn't have to worry about exercise when you cut timber for a living, right? That is your exercise. So since then, 
I've, I, I knew that if I was going to continue to keep hunting with my son and his buddies, uh, you know, I had to stay in shape. And so it's easy to become a couch potato. And I never have been one to just sit around and do anything. I'm always busy working. So I'm, uh, <clears throat> we got some acreage here in Montana and, and a lot of it's up and down. And so I'll, I'll make a, a pack and put a 40 pound, 45 pound pack on my back and go around the property and do three and a half or four and a half miles. And, uh, or I'll get on my, uh, uh, my bike and, uh, and, and I'll take it out. I'm not one to mountain bike and not one to get up and I see some of these guys on these trails and stuff. I'd kill myself because I have got a few wounds I'm carrying with me. But, you know, I'll ride gravel roads and everything and, and do 10 or 12 miles. And I got a little trailer I can put on the back. And so I'll put 20 pounds on it or 25 and have my 45-pound pack on my back. And, you know, and I, I get a pretty good workout. But I don't do it every day. I'm, I'm maybe doing it every other day. And then my... I, I, you you had a, a therapist on there here a couple episodes ago and mm -hmm. and he was talking about uh rotator cuffs and stuff well i've just had my second surgery on my right shoulder last december after hunting season and, and i did the uh left shoulder prior to that well i don't like going to doctors so my left shoulder i went back to work too early and was cutting timber and probably did something stupid and obviously i don't know what i did but i tore the tendons off and by the time i went to the doctor there was no tendon so i've had to overcome that with doing special uh therapy to to build my muscles up to compensate for the tendons i don't have mm. wow. I don't know if that answers your question <laughs> yeah no that's very helpful yeah, yeah. that's very helpful and pretty much the therapist that you were talking to, he was talking about the different things. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing all those things, you know, and, and maybe a few more. I've, if I got a bad ankle, I got a bad knee and, and, but if I keep exercising, they do fine, you know, yeah. but as soon as I start slacking off, well then, you know, it's just, I think a matter when you get this age, when you hit that 60 mark, you, you got to push yourself. It don't come easy, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's good. Use it or lose it, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Use it or lose it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I think it's cool. I'm I'm sure I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on too, just the mindset, because one thing that you just see it a lot where guys start making excuses as they get older, and by older I don't mean oh, sixty seven. Yeah. I see it at, at guys who are shoot our age, like in their mid thirties. There's already like those jokes yeah. about you know I'm not twenty anymore, or you get the guys who are in their forties, into their fifties, and it's really yeah. easy to make excuses versus just having a mindset oh. of I'm going to stay active. I'm going to stay capable. I'm not going to make excuses just because I'm, you know, 40, 45, 50 or shoot 67. So how do you feel? Right. You know, is mindset really important to you? You think? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, I was thinking about this, you know, I knew we were going to have this conversation and, and I have to say, I think, you know, you got to stay in shape. Uh, but you got to have the determination. If you haven't got the determination, it ain't going to make any difference what you're doing. You know, I see a mountain and I want to get to the top of it. And, and my son will be with me. And he says, well, of course you are, dad. You want to go to the top of that mountain? I can see it right now. And so we go up there, you know, mm -hmm. but if I didn't have the determination, <clears throat> I wouldn't be able to do it uh, or wouldn't do it because it don't come easy. But you got to stay in shape as well. You know, I think that's more important. I think it's easy for a lot of us to sit back and look at maybe someone like yourself and go, well, yeah, he was a logger for a long time and he's just tough and he's been there and he's done that. But it's, it's interesting to hear you still say, well, it's still not easy. Like you still have to make that no. choice every day, right? That is correct. I, I hunted with my, uh, one of my neighbors, uh, last year and got to know him a really good friend and, and, uh, He's a big guy, you know, and and I I told him in our hunting, and I packed out one of his, uh, helped him pack out one of his bulls and and a buck, and I said, you know, Stan, you just can't, 
uh, not do this except once a year and expect to climb these mountains. I said, you got to do some walking. And so now I'm seeing him through the winter, him and his wife are out walking the roads and it's awesome, you know, Mm -hmm. to to see him do that because that's going to make a better hunter next year, actually this year. Yeah. Yeah, So great. Yeah, it is. It's all good. One thing Shane told me, and this was in passing, this wasn't like a talking point, but he just mentioned it about you was he said, um, speaking of you, he knows how to be comfortable when the conditions should make it uncomfortable. Do you think getting uncomfortable when you should be uncomfortable is something that you can just develop over time just from exposure to those tough situations? Yeah, I think, I think so. I, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of times that we're not in a comfortable situation. And so, you know, you try to do everything you can do, which would be buy good, good gear, good clothing, what have you to, to help. But still, some things just uh, enter into it that make you uncomfortable. And that's where I think the determination and the mindset comes at who you're going to complain to. And if you're going to complain through the whole trip, you probably shouldn't have been going, maybe. Very, very good point. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. It, it You mentioned having good gear. You know, one of the things I was just curious about was thinking of you hunting 60 years and how much things have changed oh, um, from a gear perspective. What are, <laughs> yeah. what are some of the big things that stick out where you're going, you know, 40, 50 years ago, I was doing this, but now we have it so good because of what, like, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen, um, just in terms of gear that have helped you continue? Probably, uh, for one thing, I remember using an old wooden canvas pack, you know, I mean, it didn't even have a waistband on it. And I remember my younger days, you know, putting a, and, and this is no exaggeration, but my dad and I, and, and a buddy, and there's three of them and they're 20 years over me. And so I'm packing a half an elk and they're, they're packing a quarter and, you know, the packs nowadays, I mean, you can put a hundred pounds in them and yeah, maybe I've had more than that. I don't know. I haven't, I'm not weighing them, but, uh, they just make it so much comfortable. And then when it comes to the boots and the, and the clothing, I used to hunt in my cotton in my cock boots. And if you're not familiar with those, they got nails in the bottom and cause I couldn't afford to go buy a good pair of hunting boots and my black suspenders and my cut off breeches and a hickory shirt and threw a sandwich in my hip pocket and off I went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I mean, they've come so, I mean, you're carrying water on you and you, you got all this stuff and, and, but it's all good. You know, it just made things so much easier. A GPS. I didn't even know what a GPS was. My son taught me that and used yeah. to hunt with them. I had a map and always had a compass and, I might have gotten turned around. I wouldn't say I ever got lost, you know. He did, he did mention to me one time you had like a 4 a.m. return to camp and you had a GPS, but apparently you didn't look at it. Is that the story? Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, I did have a map of GPS and everything. I just didn't turn them on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of an extended 22-hour hike at 25 miles, I think it was. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, that was a bad one. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And my wife's in the up there with me in the trailer, and but she's got a really good head on her, and she didn't get excited. And I had the spot, so she says at least I can find your body if needed to be. So, <laughs> <laughs> so once you figured out you were turned around, or let's say you hit eleven p.m. in the middle of the dark, you still didn't turn that GPS on. Yeah, well, I after I looked at this big river, I'd gone clear over the mountain range and didn't realize it. And, and I think I was probably thinking about some other things other than hunting, but it was good hunting. And when I seen that John Day River, I thought, my goodness, you, you have just gone over. And I've been without water for about six hours. And all I could think of is I got to get a drink. And uh, so I got down there before dark, right about dark, and got my map, figured out how to get out. Problem was, is the map and the GPS showed a trail that didn't exist or hadn't been cleaned out. And uh, so 
long story short, I did make it to the trailhead I wanted to come out to, but it was quite an ordeal to get there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. But no panic. I mean, you know, it's just I had extra food at some of them energy bars, and I had my water. That was the main thing. But, uh, yeah, I was pretty tired when I got out that night or the next morning, I should say. Yeah, man, I can imagine. You know, it cracks me up that when I asked you about the new gear and how things have gotten better or easier, one of the things you mentioned was just carrying water. Like the stuff that we take for granted, you know, that we have a hydration bladder and can carry two or three liters of water versus you saying in the old days, it's like, yeah, you didn't even have that with you. No, didn't. Uh, you know, in, in my younger days, if, if the water was running, I figured it was good to drink, you know, but, uh, I, I ended up getting Giardia for about two years and didn't know what it was. And I thought I had cancer and everything else and come to find out that's what it was from bad water. But it took me good six to eight months to clear it up. I had such a bad case of it. And Mm. so from that point on, unless I seen the water coming out of the ground, I didn't drink it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's about the time I started using a hydrator, you know, or carrying bottled water or something. But I try to drink as you get older, you got to drink more water, or at least I think you do. I, I know I have to for sure. Um, how do you mentioned GPS, um, obviously range finders or something new, you right. know, um, in, yes. in terms of hunting 50 years ago, do you have any thoughts on technology and hunting? Do you think we're kind of in some ways maybe going too far with things that are here on the horizon or is that something you've considered? No, I, I think, I mean, obviously, yeah, I mean, you could, you could spend a fortune on all these gadgets and gizmos they got out there. But, uh, you know, I think a, a good GPS is a good investment for anybody, especially if you're hunting in wilderness country. Yeah. And the range finder, when it comes to bow hunting, I mean, I have only been doing it about, I don't know how many years, eight or 10 or something like that. And, uh, you know, it'd be pretty hard to make that judgment call. I mean, it's bad enough to be able to make a shot with the range finder and still get the job done. So, but yeah, I think the new stuff out you know, I mean, they keep coming out with new stuff all the time. And I think you just got to find a happy medium. Your pockets are only so deep to, you know, get something that, you know, that'll work, but uh, not so expensive that you can't afford it. Yeah, that's good. It's it's easy to get too focused on the gear and not on the skills and the mindset and all those other things. That That is correct. That ain't going to help you put the animal on the ground. You know, I, I've hunted with a lot of guys and they uh, said, you're going where down into that canyon or up on top of the mountain? I said, yeah, that's where I'm going. Well, what are you going to do if you get one down? And I said, I'm going to come and get you if I get one down. But first, I got to get them down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Do you see? Sometimes the worry's too great. <laughs> yeah. Hunting, you know, another thing Shane mentioned is, you know, you've essentially been hunting the backcountry before it was like a thing and now it, it is right. a thing um yes do you do you feel like you see more people than you used to when you're back there uh yeah in certain areas i have but you know last year i was i was in some back country and uh you know a lot of a lot of the hunters especially in what i see in montana they're uh you know they'll go in a little ways but they don't want to have to make that big decision of how I'm going to get that critter out of there. And, you know, it, it's, it's not uh, unforeseen for me and my son or by myself to go in eight or 10 miles. If, if we got good hunting, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll probably have to eat the booger to get him back out, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I got to get him down first. I love that. Yeah, I love that mindset. Just kind of know like who, who cares what, how miserable the pack out is. You're just going right. to have a good hunt and experience it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the memories. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I mean, if, if the weather's good, right. And even if it takes you a yeah. couple trips, it sounds like you're willing to do it. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're not going to get it. Even if you got two of you, you're not going to do it in one trip. And, uh, at least I can at 67. I might've been able to do it when I was your age, but, but, uh, 
it's it's a mindset you know you got to have the determination and so no sense in killing yourself you're going to hunt in that kind of a country you're just going to know you're going to make several trips back in now maybe it's going to be one a day or something like that but uh that's what it's going to take and if you take care of your meat that that's probably the the biggest thing during bow season is you know you're always beating trying to beat the heat and Mm -hmm. uh so that right there could mean that you may have to, you know, do it until you get her done and not yeah. take time too. So, you know, you mentioned in passing there, basically you're not getting ahead of yourself. So yeah, you are thinking, okay, I do have to get this out of here. Um, and will the weather allow the meat to be good? But at the same time, you're not so focused on what might be or what could be or how bad the pack out might be that it's preventing you from doing what you need to do now. And so it's interesting to me just to hear that and go, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't, don't think about, yeah, this pack out is going to be bad. Um, obviously you do need to think about what is possible and make sure you don't get yourself in a dangerous situation or an unethical situation, but at the same time, don't get so focused on what might be or how bad might something be. And just, just focused on the now and on the hunt. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it, um, a good example would be uh, last year I was hunting by myself. My son was coming, but he was a few days away, and and I was in wilderness. And I think I went in about eight miles, I think it was, but it was good hunting. I had fresh sign. I just couldn't find the little boogers. And and uh, I got in there far enough, then, and, you know, the terrain, everything started changing. And I thought, you know, maybe this is far enough because – you're going to be able to hunt your way back out. And fortunately I got back out about an hour before dark. And that's when I run into them hunters I'd never met before and helped them pack their stuff out. So, uh, they was pretty grateful over that, but you got to know when, when to say no too. I think you know, some common sense has got to enter into it someplace. So you helping those other hunters, somebody you had never met, do you just feel that as hunters, um, we just should be willing to help each other and work together essentially when, when it's required to do it. I think when it's required to do it, I mean, it was pretty obvious to me. I heard voices and, uh, we still had daylight and, and they were having problems. I, I thought they had the meat out already and they were just trying to figure out how to get their camp out because they'd lost all their tie downs. And so I helped them pack the, the gear out and, uh, and so it was just, uh, it wasn't quite dark when we got out. And as the, as the walk, I, I said, so well, uh, you already got the meat out. I think something like that. And he said, no, he said, it's still up there. And I said, he says, I got to go get horses. And I said, well, is it clear up on top of the mountain? No, he said, I did get it down. And, and I said, well, you know, my hunting was over for the day pretty much anyway. And, it just seemed like the thing to do. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you. And he, he I thought he was going to fall over. He couldn't believe I was offering. <laughs> <laughs> we unloaded uh, their camping gear and I lightened up my pack. I didn't even take my gun back in. I just took my sticks and, you know, my mindset was I'm going to help this guy get his meat out. And so it was a real blessing, you know. It feels like it's easy to get so focused on our own hunt that, you know, maybe we yes. overlook others at times. I think it's, it, yeah, it, it can be so pretty easy, but you know, I think having the mindset and being retired makes a little difference too. Where, right. yeah. you know, the younger generation, uh, they still got to make a living doing something and they got a job. So they're trying to make every, every minute count where me, I just, I enjoy the nature and out there. And if I can help somebody out, yeah, that that's all part of it. Especially when I got two black, uh, back straps out of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't hurt. Right? Yeah. He mentioned to me, he says, well, I'll give you a back strap. And I said, well, that's, that'd be great. I said, you ain't going to have to say that twice. And so we're coming back out with the meat load and they were heavy loads. And, and he says, you know, I've been thinking about that. I'll give you both back straps because I got meat in my freezer and, I said, done deal. So I came out pretty good on the deal, I thought. Yeah, that's not bad. I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
this is i don't know if you can even look at this from like an outside perspective mike because you grew up as a hunter um i mean that's that's what you've known from an early age it's what your father did it's what you've shared with with your boys but how do you feel that being a hunter and not just hunting but again going back to hunting rough country being in the back country challenging yourself in the wilderness learning to be um, comfortable with the uncomfortable. How do you feel that all those things have affected you as a man and changed how you handle life outside of hunting in the outdoors? Well, I, you know, I, I've never been a quitter and, uh, it'd be easy to do at times when you're up there in those mountains and they're challenging and, uh, but life is a challenge and, you know, with God's grace helping us through every day and and giving us hope and uh, and I don't know it 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 makes you I think uh, appreciate what you have got when you're up there in the mountains and you don't have it maybe if that mm. makes sense yeah for sure for sure yeah. that's great so did you mention Mike you just started bow hunting specifically did you say that like eight or ten years ago yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. I, 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 my son, he'd remember, but I want to say it was at least eight years ago. And, uh, I've, I haven't been, I've done a lot of hunting. I'd like to do a little more killing. We, uh, we have a lot of close, uh, opportunities, but it seems like, you know, we either bugger it or, uh, good weather or wind or whatever buggers it. you know, it seems like it's always something, you know, that how it is. And these guys oh, yeah. that watch on TV and they're killing these big bulls day in and day out. And I'm thinking that ain't even happening. How many, <laughs> how many shows have they had before they got this one? <laughs> right. Yeah. And in, in my book, you know, any, any elk is a trophy rather at a great big bull or a cow or whatever. Mm-hmm. They are smart. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. What do you feel like was a big um, new, some of the new things you learned bow hunting versus the, the decades you had had rifle hunting? What What are some of the differences that stand out in terms of the skills needed or how you interact with animals, things like that? It, uh, I think the bow hunting has made me a better hunter to be aware of, uh, what's happening around you but it's also a very i i think it's a lot more uh physically demanding than rifle you know they got these darn rifles now you can shoot a half a mile away well that's all fine and dandy that ain't hunting that's just spotting and shooting (laughs) target shooting you know Mm -hmm. where a bow when you you get those critters i've had them you know within five feet of me and they didn't know they knew something was wrong but they didn't know it was me and it was only because i had the winds and everything were right so it's more uh closer encounter and uh last year uh, I'm pretty sure I killed a bull with the bow. My son and I was together. He called it in, but we didn't get him. Uh, I think a bear got him, and uh, we trapped him for 22 hours, and and uh, the broadhead and everything was in him, and I, I, I think he had bled out. We found his deathbed, but he wasn't in it. So, you know, those things, because it is such a close encounter, that uh, it goes right to the heart where you're shooting a rifle and they're, you know, a couple thousand feet out there or 2,500 feet out there, you know, yeah, I don't think I hit him. So they don't even go look, you know, that, that, that doesn't uh, affect you as mentally as it does, I think, with a bow. I could keep you on here all day, Mike, asking you questions <laughs> and hearing stories, I'm sure. But I, I want to be, uh, you know, recognize your time here. Just to... uh, My time's pretty flexible. <laughs> you know, we get a campfire and some spirits. I could really tell you some good ones. <laughs> I, yeah, let's do that. I would love to do that one day. <laughs> we need to come record the live podcast with you around the campfire for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, to wrap up this conversation, and hopefully we can have another one down the road. What sure. does anything come to mind just in terms of you've hunted this long, you've seen so many changes. What thoughts do you have for, let's just call it the next generation of hunters coming up? So guys, you know, Steve and I's age or even younger, 
um, who have hopefully decades more of hunting, what, what would you tell them? Uh, boy, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it's getting more expensive to do it. They keep changing the laws. You know, last year was the first year I hadn't hunted Oregon for man, my whole life. And, uh, I was boycotting them and, yeah, and that really didn't do any good, I don't think. But <laughs> made me feel a little better mentally. <laughs> Staying for your principles. <laughs> but I uh, hunted all time, you know, during Montana season, and that was the long season, so that that was all good. But I enjoy hunting with my son and his buddies, and it's you know it's not always easy to my my time is flexible, but theirs isn't, and to go buy a tag for a thousand bucks and hunt for four days. Uh, it, I can't make that com- compute, you know, anyway. Yeah. I mean, definitely opportunity and availability and regulations and all that is something that we're oh, going to have to deal with more and more for sure. More and more. It's going to get harder and harder to go hunting because they keep re- putting more restrictions on it and everything. And, so Montana's been pretty flexible so far. I think probably Wyoming might be, uh, although you can hunt wilderness in Montana where you can't do that in Wyoming. So, Correct, yeah. All right, Mike. Well, yeah, maybe we can get a part two. Maybe we can uh, share that campfire one day. But for now, man, thank you so much for the time. <laughs> yeah, if you guys, uh, you're over there in Idaho. If you're ever in my part of the country and uh, you need a hunting partner, I'm usually pretty flexible unless I'm already out there tramping the bushes someplace. So <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll reach out. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. I appreciate your time and uh, giving me the opportunity. Hopefully I can... Uh, said something that might help others well that was a treat guys i hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did um we are wrapping up the series tomorrow with a final episode again it's impossible to pick the top five it's honestly very difficult to narrow it down to five episodes in general but hopefully you guys have been enjoying this little series tune back in tomorrow for the finale hit that giveaway link if you haven't already and we'll talk to you soon